Son of a biscuit, I failed to get to the chopper. Well, I guess I'll sit back and listen to reviews and done. Let's get started. Here is your host, Derek Dunn. What's up, world? Once again, it's Derek Dunn, back with another A1 podcast. Now, if you guys were my podcast last week, you guys know that I had Jason Farley from WTLP, Rotten Tomatoes critic for the top five teen movies that every guy should see. That was a fun podcast, and I promised you guys that this week I was going to the 90s stuff. So I'm looking forward to chopping up with my guy, Eddie Passa, you know, guitar player, Mortal Kombat 2 fan, a gentleman that agrees that Prince's best guitar solo is Purple Rain, a guy that can make you an A1 gourmet milk and nothing but top ramen or oodles and noodles. So I want everyone to give it up for my friend, my guy, my fellow WAF member, Mr. Eddie Passa. Welcome to the line. How you doing today, sir? Doing fine, Derek. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's an honor and a pleasure. Oh, it's pleasure's on mine, man. You know, we haven't, uh, since the COVID, man, we haven't had a chance to see each other at the screenings or, you know, talk outside of Facebook. So it's good to be able to really talk, you know, film with a fellow um, critic and just somebody's, somebody's writing that I highly admire, someone, someone's writing that I respect and someone's opinion that I um, also value. And thank you again for sending me the photo of the Friday the 13th box set that just dropped on Tuesday. I know that you were excited to um, get into that. So have you had a chance to watch all, is it all 13 films in the box set? Because it's all the, the 12. Nine of them. 12 films. Oh yeah. Sorry. There's 12 films. Um, there's two different cuts of part one, part three, part nine, and the, the remake. But the, uh, the, the uh, two versions of part one are on two separate discs and the rest are all on just one. But, uh, or no, Jason Goes to Hell might be on two. God, I'm a nerd. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> <All of you. laughs> so we, I started getting into it and my eight-year-old daughter, uh, I was about her age when I saw my first Friday the 13th movie. And I, I was like, she's like, what is this? I was like, it's called Friday the 13th. It's a scary movie, you know, whatever. She's like, I want to see it. We got up to four. I don't want to show her five because five yeah. punches down and I don't <laughs> like it very much. So we're on six, which is one of my favorites of the series and she's enjoying it very much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about um, five, just, you know, on a social media, if you, you know, your thoughts on part five and it's not that five is bad, like the older you get, but it's just five. I guess part five is its own thing. Like, you don't really count as part of the franchise, but, like, you know, it's its own thing. I mean, outside of Tommy Jarvis and, you know, of course, my man Deadly, Shavar Ross with his little uh, amazing scream. <laughs> we love Shavar Ross. In the rain. But, yeah, part five has just always been, like, kind of just its own redheaded stepchild, if you, uh, if you will. So, yeah, I need to pick up the... Um, Box six, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy them all, you know, they're, they're harmless slasher flicks. I even have a soft spot for um, Jason Goes to Hell, primarily because of Creighton Duke, Mr. Stephen Williams, and I'm still want that Creighton Duke prequel or Creighton Duke uh, spinoff. Just it'd be, it would be great to 
see and I, you know I, you know do you like Jason Goes to Hell as a film or do you think it's kind of just eh? It's terrible. But the thing is, it's also the first Jason movie I saw in in its entirety in the theaters without having to sneak in and yeah. getting kicked out. But I I I have a soft spot in my heart for that movie because uh it's goofy as hell. Uh I really love John D. LeMay's performance, especially in the uh like throughout he's given he's he's given such funny lines and he delivers them well but also Stephen Williams is fantastic there's just something about Stephen Williams that just that makes that movie like so worth watching and uh it's it's really odd because um if you think about it the first film the very first Friday the 13th film, you don't see the killer until the killer's face until all the way at the end, right? Then uh, part five, same thing. You don't see you don't see the man in the hockey mask until the end. This time with part nine, you have the prologue, and then you don't see the guy in the hockey mask until all the way at the end. So it kind of keeps that same kind of uh, uh, mecha- uh, that, that kind of mechanic. Those uh, that, that kind of that kind of uh, aesthetic, even though it's just a straight up rip off of like the hidden, but yeah. I still like that movie. Shout out to you for for getting the motif on the hidden. Yeah, um, I'm like you. I think part five, I had some very um, you know, lucky parents. So you know, I saw the first one I saw in the theater was part six, um, <laughs> Jason Lives. I was like five, I, and then mm-hmm. you know after that, she's like you know, I would always go see him in the theater, but um. The first one I saw, you know, that I kind of snuck into was Jason Goes to Hell back in 1993 at the age of 12. So, yeah, so that's Mm -hmm. the perfect segue into our little conversation today that we're going to get into, and that is the top five 90s movies and the high school genre, teen genre that every young man should see. And, you know, I was telling Eddie before we started that, um, this list was actually a bit harder for me than my 80s list I did with um, Jason, you know, previously, because, you know, even though I was born in the 80s and I was, a, you know, a kid in the 80s, the subgenre of um, the teen flick really didn't fully resonate with me in the 80s because I was a kid. But in the 90s, that's kind of when it came back. And it was just like so many teen movies coming out. I mean, some are kind of crappy, but you have some, some quality, um, some quality flicks. So, you know, I was in high school from 96 through 2000 class, 2000, and just seeing, um, what we saw in the eighties all over again and kind of inspired me to go back into the eighties and like, you know, watch stuff as a teen. And it hit a bit differently. Like, you know, seeing, um, pretty in pink <laughs> at the age of, 18 is totally different <clears throat> excuse me than seeing it you know from five just like um the last american virgin you know you guys know that i had that as my number one from the 80s and you know seeing the last uh, american version you know at 18 as opposed to being like four or five like you know you really get the pain of the last american version and like what really that ending still hits so you know before eddie and i get into our top five i gotta ask eddie have you seen the last American version? A long time ago. You need to revisit the last American time. version, yeah, because Jason hadn't seen it. I, you know, that was my number, um, my number one. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and um get right into it. And my so we're gonna start with my um number five. I had two from number for number five. We're gonna go back to nineteen ninety-nine. So the first one from ninety-nine that I have a number five is the football classic. The one where James Vanderbeek was no longer Dawson, and that's Varsity Blues, directed by Mr. Brian Robbins. Now, I chose Varsity Blues because, you know, I was always a Vanderbeek fan and watching Dawson's Creek. And if you guys remember last week, I had all the right moves in my top five also, my number five, another football movie. Now, I didn't ever, I never played football, but one of my best friends, you know, my homie Calvin Malone played football and you know talking to him about like varsity blues and just how realistic it was um my mom you know at the time was you know we were getting to move to texas and she kind of relayed just how big football was in texas i thought it hit all the right notes and you know a football movie um friendship uh the one to you know no longer play when the quarterback gets hurt and he doesn't you know have a plan on what to do and of course you know we got to shout out Allie Lauder with the whipped cream bikini scene to where even though she didn't go nude, still one of the most iconic moments of the 90s teen genre. And my second number five is also, again, from 99, and that's going to be American Pie, directed by Adam Wheats. Now, you know, I initially was going to have American Pie a bit higher, but, you know, looking over my list and just looking over my film collection, there's some strong 90s high school movies, you know, before American Pie and a few more that kind of resonate a bit more with me personally. So that's why I have American Pie at number five, Top of Varsity Blues. So, you know, we all know American Pie. We know the story. We know the um, the lines, you know, it's teen sex comedy, but taken up a notch. Um, Jason Biggs, Sean William Scott, uh, hell, have Eddie K. Thomas, Jennifer Coolidge, Eugene Levy, just an amazing cast amazing one-liners and you know once again a great great nude scene from Shannon Elizabeth you know we got to shot that out you know in the yeah. naughty vision so my number my number fives are American Pie and Varsity Blues Eddie what's your number five brother oddly enough my number five is also American Pie uh it was directed by the Whites brothers Paul and Chris uh not Adam sorry I, oh, I'm, good, I, yeah. I'm a big dork about that kind of thing oh, no, no, but no. anyway um Adam Hirsch was uh, that's what it was Yes, that's what it was. But uh, I, the, that movie just screams 90s. The attitude, the, the music. You had like Green Day and uh, Blink-182 on the same album. Uh, it's, and it's a coming-of-age story that just, yeah, it, it, it focuses on a lot of the hypersexualization of teens, etc. But there's some genuine moments in there that make you feel like things are all right, you know, and the cast is, the cast is, you can't get more 90s than that. Allison Hannigan from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, Mino Suvari in a terrific uh, uh, debut performance, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh my gosh, what is his name? Jason Biggs. <laughs> he... Uh, out of nowhere, this kid came and held that movie down completely. And um, you got it, even though by today's standards, it's misogynistic or whatever. <laughs> back then, back then, it was, that was part, that was part, being in that moment of 1999, uh, 
I mean, I was, I think I'd turned 23 that year and I saw that movie like three times in theaters with three different sets of friends. And it was just so enjoyable. Every, every bit of it. I mean, granted, you know, you can't judge it by today's standards because of course it's cringy, but yeah. Um, but back then, and even with the right set of eyes, it's it's a lot of fun. And you know, man, it's the um, there's there's just so many moments in that movie, and it's, sometimes it's like the little subtle comedic lines that um, Sean William Scott delivers. Like his 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 comedic timing was so sharp. Like when they're at the party. And he sees Sherman, and Sherman's like, hey, Sherman. He's like, what the hell are you doing here? Just, just the way he says, like, what the hell are you doing here? And then when Oz leaves to go to the um, meet, and, like, the entire lacrosse game is just posted up, and he's like, guys, I don't think he's coming back. Like, he says it, like, so, <laughs> so nonchalantly, but he's, like, being dead serious. Like, yo, he's not coming back at all. So shout out to um, American Pie. And, oh, just a quick little plug. If you guys haven't seen... The latest American Pie um, flick, Girls Rule, the um, one that went direct to Netflix and direct to DVD. That's actually a very, very decently made direct to DVD sequel. Um, it has the spirit of the first one a lot for me. You know, you know, fair warning, there's not a lot of nudity, but that really was needed for the story they were trying to tell. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed um, American Pie, Girls Rule. So that's available on Netflix if you guys haven't seen that one yet. All right, so we're going to keep it moving. Uh, you know, I'm having fun chopping up with my guy, Eddie. You know, we could probably sit here and just talk about American Pie for another hour, but, you know, we got to get some <laughs> other 90s flicks some love. So my number four is um, one that people learn. It's like, you know, they might think it should be a little bit higher, but again, man, the 90s was my time, so I had so many strong movies that resonated a bit more with me. So my number four is the 93 classic Richard Linklater's Days and Confused. Now, what can we say about Days of Confused, man? Um, despite the fact there's not one minority in Days and Confused that I can recall, it's still a classic there's, film. There's, Was there? Yeah, a, there's that African. There's there's a brother in there. Yeah. Uh, I, need, I need to revisit that. He must have made yeah. a, a good impact on me then. But yeah, I mean, Days and Confused, I mean, amazing soundtrack, so many quality um, performances. I mean, an amazing cast. Similar to American Pie, I mean, folks that would break out later on, Ben Affleck, Parker Posey, Matthew McConaughey, Cole Hauser, Jason Lee, um, Joey Lauren Adams, uh, just, mm -hmm. you know, amazing cast and Days and Confused. I think, you know, even though it's set in Texas, no matter where you're from, you can probably relate to American, I'm sorry, Days and Confused because it's a universal story. And you know, again, just classic, um, classic, classic lines. Um, Ben Affleck paying O'Banion, you know, the bully who, <laughs> who's not graduating, you know, so he can continue to kick the ass as a freshman, you know, next year. Um, yeah, Days and Confused, number uh, number four, and you know, surprisingly, I was always surprised that the lead character, if you can argue that, um, Mitch, played by Wiley. Wiggins, Wiggins. Never, yeah, never really broke out into anything. I think that might have been a um, choice because I think he could have easily been like a uh, trying to think I can compare him to maybe like a uh, a Michael Cera of his time. Like he could have been that quirky, laid back, 
you know, smart but still cool guy in movies. So shout out to Wiley Wiggins, wherever you are, sir. Eddie, what's your number four, sir? Uh, my number four um, was uh, a tie. And it's one that, like you, uh, one of them is one of them is uh, should is probably going to be considered uh, a sin to have it this low on the list. Uh, but uh, these two films are uh, the first film is Clueless, uh, directed by Amy Heckerling, and just an irrepressibly wonderful performance by uh, Alicia Silverstone. Uh, she's she plays the absolutely perfect Valley Girl. Well, um, uh, entitled, but heart's in the right place. Not, not a mean bone in her body, but just really just kind of muddling through life and on her own terms. And even if her own terms are, she lives in a, a in a mansion, drives a jeep without a license, and you know. But there is something absolutely wonderful about the kind of spirit of the whole movie. Uh, they're teenagers. They're lost in their own cosmos, but at the same time, they have similar worries, like coming out and, uh, you know, uh, just will I find somebody to love? And it, it, these are all universal, universal uh, uh, feelings that, you know, tons of movies are made out of. But this one, there was a, there's just an enjoyable spirit that, uh, the cast and the crew, Breckenmeyer, by the way, uh, shout out to him. I love Breckenmeyer and, and everything. Breckenmeyer is my guy. And uh, my second film is Can't Hardly Wait. I saw this at a, in, uh, at a friend's house and uh, I haven't stopped since. The, there's something, I love Ethan Embry in this movie so much. The lead character, Preston. And um, he just embodies the spirit of uh, the 90s teen, you know, um, just trying to find his place in the world and seeing other, other people, you know, more popular, more outgoing and, you know, bigger risk takers, like taking their shot and some make it, some don't. And Charlie Corsmo from Dick Tracy and Hook. Surprise. Oh, he's amazing. And Hook. Yes, you're correct. Uh, and, and there's everybody's in that movie. There's Sarah Rue. Sarah Rue is in that movie. Uh, Jennifer, J Jennifer Love Hewitt. Uh, she's perfectly sassy in it and just really kind of awesome. Uh, but yeah, that's one of my go-to. That's one of my go-to 90s movies, uh, high school, 90s high school movies. And see, and this is why I um why I enjoy like talking film with critics and like actual diehard buffs, cause like I can drop a line right now from both these movies and Eddie will probably crack a smile because you know he's like me, he's like he's a film guy. So in Clueless, like just thinking about it, I mean, I haven't seen Clueless start to finish in at least ten or fifteen years, but um it's in the beginning when um Cher is talking about um who she's gonna fix up the math teacher with. And it's a voiceover, and all of a sudden she stops. She's like, "Wait a minute, is that a Snickers?" <laughs> and then, then <laughs> um, I can't hardly wait. Um, like one of my one of my moments that sticks out still that I laugh about is towards the end when they're doing all the um, where are they now? What happens to them? 
and William yes. with his friends, they're they're just walking. Dude's like, yeah. So what about your supermodel girlfriend? You know, lives in where, wherever she was at, and then they get abducted by the spaceship, and like, yes, <laughs> like we've made it. So yeah, totally '90s. Shout out to uh, Can't Hardly Wait classic. It didn't make my list, but um, yeah, like it's so many that um, ran the '90s, man. And you know, I'm sure once once Eddie and I get to our honorable mentions. Um, I have four of my honorable mentions that we're going to get you later on, and I'm sure he has a few that we could have thrown out there. They just don't, um, you know, good movies, but for me, like, my top five is stuff that I know backwards and forwards and stuff that I revisit all the time and stuff that I watch, like, again and again and still feel the same way that I felt the first time I, first time I saw it. And things that, I'll, things that I'll go see now in the theater if they were open at the draft house when they have movie parties. That's why... I had to narrow my list down that way. All right, we're going to keep it moving. My number three is The Wood from 1999, directed by Rick Famuwa. Now, The Wood, I was kind of debating putting this one on the list because there's only a small part of it that takes place in high school. That's like in the maybe third act when they show them in high school. But for me, um, The Wood was a movie that when it came out, I had just left um, Northern Virginia. My mom, you know, you guys know that she was uh, in the military. She got promoted. So we had to move my senior year of high school. Now, mind you, I had lived in the DMV and I had gone to Hayfield since seventh grade. So I had a good, you know, friendship already established with people at Hayfield. And seeing the wood in, in El Paso, Texas back in 99, you know, as soon as it started, you know, when Mike moves to L.A. from North Carolina, played by Omar Epps as an adult, and Sean Nelson as a kid, it like automatically clicked, and I'm like, yo, this is my life story playing out on screen from the soundtrack, the acting, just the camaraderie between um, Omar Epps, Richard T. Jones, Tay Dix as adults, and then the young actors, Sean Nelson, Dwayne Finley, and I think Cameron Johnson to play the young versions of the Dolph, just, you know, growing up with your boys, man, having having fun, you know, trying to get laid for the first time and just the way that it's played out, you know, fighting a bully, um, going to a dance and trying to get phone numbers, just the awkwardness of high school. And even though, you know, there is a um, little bit of a, a gang motif in there with one of the characters, what I love about The Wood is it's set in California. It's in the 90s, but there's a lot of positivity. It's not really negative. And, you know, The Wood, dope soundtrack from the 80s, good 90s songs. I can watch The Wood now and still get the same effect that I had back in 99. So that's my number three. Eddie, over to you. Number three. My number three is also one of the best horror movies of all time. I'm talking about Wes Craven's Scream from 1996. Uh, what, can, what, what can be said about this movie that hasn't been said already? It was um, it was an excellent expansion of the themes he started to uh, develop in Wes Craven's New Nightmare just what two years earlier, yeah, nineteen ninety four, and <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, just it hit at such the right time and in such the right place. I remember, uh, I remember taking uh, my friend to go see it. Uh, back in, uh, uh, you know, one night after I'd finished working at uh, Joe Theismann's in Alexandria. 
It's like, I want to see this. I wonder what this movie Scream is all about. And we went and I went the next day because I had to, I had to go back. I had to see every uh, little reference and in joke to other horror movies um, and see how the writing really worked because that first viewing, I was just, I was swept away by hearing teens talk just with this kind of pattern, with this kind of uh, patois, as it were. Just, it was, it was a lightning strike. It really was. It captured such an energy. And to have Wes Craven direct it was just a masterstroke because I think, you know, if reading the script book, um, Kevin Williamson, the, the, the screenplay, the screenwriter, um, he says, I think I, I think Wes was tired of the genre and I think he knew what I was trying to do, which is why having him direct it was the perfect gift. And I believe that. Uh, it's, it's just one of those perfect movies that came at a perfect time and a perfect place. Yeah, Scream was, yeah, 96 during the holidays. And um, I remember when Scream came out, saw it at Union Station's movie theater with my mom. And, like, the big thing in December 96 was Jerry Maguire. Like, everybody was talking about Jerry Maguire, and Scream just came out right before Christmas time and just totally shocked everybody. The word of mouth was um, strong. Um, actually took my son to see Scream last year at a movie party at the draft house, and he was just, like, blown away by the um, dialogue and picked up on the in-jokes and the meta-references and all that, because, you know, my son's an old soul, and, you know, unfortunately, so that's a, another <laughs> conversation, but, um, yeah, definitely, um, shout out to Scream, you know, and I wanted to put, um, I personally, I avoided um, horror flicks, um, I was going to say that from the podcast, but, you know, because I was going to include The Faculty, from 98, and I, I think The Faculty is one of Williamson's, probably my second Kevin Williamson screenplay right behind the original screen, but I mean, whatever that dude writes, so, you know, I I tend to like, I even have, well, you know, we don't speak on uh, Teach Mrs. Tingle, that's 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 one that I really, didn't, <laughs> that's one I really didn't care for, but but The Faculty, Scream, Scream 2, and even his notes for Scream 3, hell, even Scream 4, like, yeah, dude's writing was just so on point, and it was so stuff for us. So shout out to uh, Scream. All right, so before we get into our um, our top two choices, I hope you guys are enjoying this. You know, we're going to throw out th throw out some honorable mentions. Now, I had four um, honorable mentions, and Eddie, I mean, feel free to share how many ever you have. Like, you know, we got nothing but time on a Friday. So my four honorable mentions are Clueless from 1995, Amy Heckerling. Eddie kind of nailed what it's about. My second honorable mention is going to be um, Angus from 1995, directed by Patrick Reed Johnson. And Angus kind of got lost in the shuffle, I think. Um, it was a bit ahead of its time because watching um, Angus is like, again, like being kind of an outcast in school, you can really identify Angus's story. I remember Angus had really good reviews. It had strong writing. It had a classic blonde jock asshole performance by James Vanderbeek, pre-Dawson's Creek. A good 90s alternative soundtrack, but I think it got lost in the uh, shuffle and nobody really talks about Angus. And if I remember correctly, Angus came out the same time as Seven, so I think Seven kind of overshadowed uh, uh, Angus from the same studio. 
Next honorable mention goes to Election from 1999, directed by Alexander Payne, with a hilarious performance by Reese Witherspoon and a great leading man performance by Matthew Broderick, who 13 years prior played a classic underachieving Ferris Bueller. And Election is, um, I remember Election, man. It starts out, and you're just like, all right, this is going to be a standard, you know, dumb teen flick. But there's a line that I'm not going to say because I'm not misogynistic. Like in the first five minutes of election from Matthew Broderick's best friend, it totally takes the movie in another direction. And my last honorable mention is Welcome to the Dollhouse from 1996, directed by Todd Solendens. And Welcome to the Dollhouse, um, it's kind of like Angus, man. It's a very tough watch, but it's also very realistic for what it's like to be an outsider in middle school going to high school with the great, I felt, award-worthy performance by Heather Matarazzo as Don Wiener Dog. So, yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Eddie, over to you. Give me, give me some honorable mentions, sir. I absolutely adored Welcome to the Dollhouse. But, yeah, that's another one of my honorable mentions as well. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen anything by Todd Solondz. I think that was his first movie, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, just a couple of years ago, he came out with Wiener Dog, and it there was there's a, a continuation of Don Wiener's story in there, and it's pretty neat. But uh, yeah, Welcome to the Dollhouse is just a, an amazing movie. Um, I have uh, maybe two honorable mentions. Uh, the first one is I don't think it's I, I don't I don't think it's high school if I'm not mistaken. It's just a slacker comedy. It's more, it's more, uh, it's got a little bit of a high school vibe, but not really. It's mall rats. I won't go into it. But my second honorable mention is She's All That. And uh, I have fond memories of it, but very little memory of it because when I saw it, I was, uh, I was living in a, I was living with friends in Alexandria in 1999 and that came on uh, pay, uh, direct TV pay-per-view and we bought it. We watched it a bunch of times. We'd all get drunk and watch it. It was very, you know, it was one of those things. So, but that may be why I don't have memory of it because we were getting drunk all the time watching it. So, uh, and one little, uh, one thing that's going to knock everything into sharp relief. I never saw 10 things I hate about you. Great movie. I want to though. And speaking of she's off of that, um, yeah, the remake is coming soon, folks. But the gender reversal with um, Robbie, Mr. Tanner Buchanan from Cobra Kai, playing the dork who gets made over by a female. So look out for that whenever you know things get back to normal in Hollywood. Man, just sitting here listening to Eddie's list and looking at my honorable mentions, like there was just so many that came out of the '90s that. I didn't think about putting down like 10 things I hate about you. Of course, um, Cruel Intentions from 99 with, you know, a great villain's performance by Sarah Michelle Gellar, Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Felipe. Man, that was a time to be alive in the late 90s. All right, so we're going to keep it moving. My number two is um, 1990s House Party directed by Reginald Hudlin. Now, House Party is... um the first flick that I can recall seeing with my mom 
after she had finished up a tour in overseas when we moved back to VA. I think I was, yeah, I was nine. And man, just the jokes in it, the soundtrack, of course, the classic dancing that everybody shares, an amazing breakthrough performance by the late, great Robin Harris, who would have gone on to achieve comedic greatness had he not passed away. I mean, you can still quote House Party nowadays and let the song Ain't My Kind of Hype come on by full force in a club and you're going to find two guys trying to do the um, trying to do the dance or, you know, recreate the kid and play kick steps. So shout out to House Party. That's my number two. Eddie, what's your number two, sir? My number two is something that was already on your list. Dazed and Confused. Uh, just absolutely carefree. Uh, just trying, again, I have a thing about uh, films about people trying to find their place in this world. And uh, Pink Story is, uh, I think, Jason London, I think it's, it is. Uh, his story about not wanting to conform to the to the rules that uh, the baseball coach is setting up for him. And um, your man, Wiley Wiggins, he uh, plays a character who doesn't want to conform to what uh, everybody else is asking him, asking of, of him. He wants to, he wants to be, you know, he wants to, I, I get the feeling that he wants to break out of the, the baseball thing and just be his own person. But there's something just absolutely fantastic about that movie. And you find it in that movie and everybody wants some, both by Richard Linklater and both kind of bookending, uh, kind of, uh, both with very similar vibes, you know, there's no real plot. It's just following people as they're hanging out, progressing from party to party. And uh, it's, it's about self-discovery. It's about falling in love. It's about uh, hazing the kids. <laughs> uh, it's about, you know, handing a beer to the kid. You just, uh, you just whacked in the, in the butt like two <laughs> seconds ago. You know, I always dug that they would do that. Um, they busted a kid out and then they gave him beer. So that there, there's a, uh, there's a, and you can tell the casts of both films, especially Dazed and Confused, the camaraderie between everybody is so palpable. It's very thick. And that's, I think one of the things I appreciate about the most about the movie. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hearing you talk about Dazed and Confused, like, you know, I got to ask, cause you know, crystal clear that you have a passion for the flick. Do you, did you have any idea that McConaughey would become the iconic actor that he is now? Looking at you know, looking at how he was as um David and Days and Confused compared to what he became now, like because he easily could have had a career just playing Pretty Boys or like a stoner and been pigeonholed, but you know he challenged himself and like you know McConaughey's like you know McConaughey clearly the biggest star to come out of that flick. Um, other than Affleck, but they're like neck, mm -hmm. you know, neck and neck. So yeah, shout out to McConaughey. So yeah, did you think he'd become a star that he was looking back, you know, in '93 to where he is now? I think yes. Back when I saw it in college, I was like, okay, this guy's gonna be uh, this guy's got this guy's got it. I don't know what it is, but there's something. There's something that's maybe it's because he was given such memorable lines like, all right, all right, all right. You know, 
everybody ran around, you know, saying that after a little while. And once you, once you're embedded that much into uh, any part of the consciousness of America, I think you've got a good shot at becoming something a little greater than that. So um, between that and the return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> I, I thought that uh, I thought that McConaughey was uh, McConaughey. Sorry, was uh, some somebody to watch, and he hasn't let us down. Yeah, and you know. I got to end his, you know, our, our little conversation with, you know, I told him, and lines popped in my head randomly, and it's a line where um, Mitch meets um, David for the first time. He's like, "Say, man, you got a joint?" It's like, "Nah, not on me, man." It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> Just like the way, the way, the way he says it. So again, so nonchalant, like, and the, the comedic timing is so like sharp. But he's like dead serious, like, "Yeah, you know, you're alright, guy." It'd be a whole lot cooler <laughs> if you did. Yeah, he says it like so matter-of-factly. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying this podcast, man. This is the perfect ending of my week, man. Chopping up with my guy, Eddie Pasta. All right, so my number one, I got two for number one also. Um, similar to The Woods, you know, I wasn't going to throw these on here <clears throat> because the high school scenes really aren't that intact, but I do think that they're required viewing for every guy to see. Um, movies that I know backwards and forwards movies that I can still find a way to work into dialogue, very strong early 90s movies, movies that I saw with um, my at the time and stuff that I've, you know, made sure my son saw. And that's going to be Boys in the Hood and Minute Society, tied for number one from 91 and 93. So up first is um, Boys in the Hood, directed by John Singleton, the late, great John Singleton. And, um, man, what can you say about Boys in the Hood, man? Just such a classically made, damn near perfect film. Um, it still holds up. The messages are universal. Um, I think for me, what really hits is, um, you know, even though I was raised by, you know, a woman, you know, when I was that age frame, like, you know, I still had positive male models around and like seeing... Trey's dad and stuff stuff he was talking about back in 91 for me now as a black man in America a lot of that stuff is going on now in 2020 you know an amazing performance by Lawrence Fishburne at the time Larry as Furious Styles great camaraderie from from Ice Cube Morris Chestnut and Cubigan Jr. as Doughboy Ricky and Trey early performance by the lovely lovely Nia Long breakthrough performance by um Regina King, you know, similar how but I asked Eddie about um, McConaughey, like seeing Regina King go from 227 to Boys in the Hood, you just knew she was going to be something special when, you know, her time was going to come through. And I mean, tragic ending, um, holds up still, amazing soundtrack, quotable for days, great, great performance by um, Ice Cube, you know, even though he's kind of on my list right now, that's, that's another conversation though. But um, <laughs> yeah, just a great performance by Ice Cube as a rapper, you know, becoming an actor. And my second number one is the Hughes Brothers, Minutes Society, which followed two years later in 1993. Now, Minutes Society is um, if you talk to anybody from LA, as I have on occasion, they'll kind of tell you that Minutes was a bit more realistic than Boys in the Hood. I mean, that's really how it is in you know South Central and. Menace to me is probably one of the best movies of 1993. I mean, hands down. 
great, great Sarmic performance by Tyrene Turner as Kane, who should have gone on to bigger and better things. Great performance from Lorenz Tate as O-Dog, as you know, as Kane, as Kane would quote it, America's Nightmare. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson has a great five-minute cameo. Bill Duke has another great five-minute cameo. I mean, a very, very cautionary tale that every guy should see, whether you're black, white, or whatever, just to know that, you know, once you get out of high school, man, that summer between, you know, after you get through high school and you're trying to become a man and find yourself, do not become a statistic. Don't become, you know, a victim to your own environment. And I think that can relate to anybody. I mean, if you, if you're drinking before you're 21, if you're smoking, you know, and just so many things can go wrong when you have all the tools in front of you to make it. Once again, another great 90s soundtrack. Great performance by Jada Pinkett. Um, my son and I watched Minutes Society maybe like three or four months ago. And, you know, the movie's 27 years old, so I'm sure you've all seen it. But, you know, when Kane actually dies, you know, my son got a little misty-eyed. And, you know, I had to explain to him, like, you know, why Kane had to die. I mean, it sucks. But from the story arc and what they were going for, like, Kane had to, Kane had to die. Like, there was no other way to end it. So my number ones are... Boys in the Hood and Men's Society. Over to you, Eddie, for your number one. Uh, we're on a Zoom call, so I'm going to hold up my uh, list here. And you can see number one is also Boys in the Hood. Yeah. That uh, it's, it's such a um, powerful, just the word powerful gets tossed around a lot. But uh, I saw that twice in uh, – in a suburb of Los Angeles when I was visiting my, my relatives out there. And it was an eye-opening experience for me because, I mean, I went to, I went to Gonzaga, which uh, high school in DC. So I saw a lot of, you know, it was my first real, my high school was my first real exposure to the, how harsh life at, could actually be. Even at, even at Gonzaga, there were, there were kids who, who didn't have what a lot of a lot of the other kids had. I didn't have a lot of what the what the other kids had, but um, seeing how you know, because I went to, uh, when I was in grade school, I was in a parochial school with the same people from kindergarten through eighth grade. Uh, and when I went to high school, I knew nobody, and I didn't really have a good time of it. But seeing how high school operated, the uh, the jocks, the, you know, studying and all this other stuff, you know, it just, we didn't have jocks at, at my grade school. So seeing it was a whole new world. And when I, when I saw uh, that reflected a little bit in Boys in the Hood, where, uh, you know, you had kids who were studying for the, studying for the SATs, maintaining their grades, playing on the football teams and just trying to make it, you know, uh, and also with, with, you know, and I'd never been to South Central Los Angeles and what I, my experience of it was probably everything I learned from the NWA albums, you know, and Ice Cube's America's Most Wanted, which is still one of the greatest records ever. Um, and seeing it brought to life by John Singleton, uh, you know, just up for John Singleton, rest in peace. Uh, seeing that embodiment of uh, South Central High School life and just South Central life in general, like it was an eye opener, and it's one that 
I've read about, I've studied, I've read the screenplay backwards and forwards. I, I had the novelization of the film when I was a kid, you know, when I was in high school. And there was power. Just that, I think, I think that may be the first movie where I experienced how powerful a movie should be, you know? And uh, I, I remember, uh, I remember leaving the theater and then immediately like talking to my uncle and uh, I was like, uh, I'm going to go back tomorrow to see it again. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'm not going to be here. So um, uh, my, my cousins bought the soundtrack for me while I was out there. And uh, I, that movie is just incredible. Definitely the best teen movie of the 1990s. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, um, again, it still holds up. You know, I think back in March, right? It was either March or January, February, right before the COVID kind of hit the draft house, they showed it and, you know, I took my son to see it. He had seen it before, but, I, you know, I wanted, to see it on, I wanted him to see it on the big screen and experience it with the crowd. And, you know, again, you know, when Ricky meets his untimely mm. fate, man, it's like a one-two punch and one of the like strongest things you know again with ice cube you know personal beliefs right now aside but um just to you know just to imagine getting in a fight with someone you share blood with your brother and then less than 10 minutes later like you know he's no longer on this earth and to have to live with that and cope with that is just like you can't even fully process what you know going on you know then the scene after that when you know cube goes back and like you know ricky's um girlfriend and ricky's mom are like reacting like cube did that i'm like and they're not consoling him and it's like a loss for the entire family they're just like attacking him and it's just you know one of the things and of course you know the scene with um fishburn and gooding you know when he's like looking at him he's um trying to you know, convince him not to go out, you know, don't get revenge. And then he mm -hmm. leaves. <clears throat> and of course, like, you know, when he comes back after, you know, he doesn't, you know, make the right choice. <clears throat> just the look that um, Fishburne gives Cuba Gooden Jr. I think that every guy, you know, who's had a stern father, had like a stern male role model, you, you've experienced that to where it's like, you hope that everything that he's taught you in becoming a man hasn't been washed away and there's nothing you can really say. And then Fishburne just kind of closes the door. And for me, it's kind of almost like um, Fishburne is closing the door on his son and realizes that his son's now a man. And he kind of knows that, you know, Trey didn't make the mistakes. Everything he's taught him has held up and he's a man now and he's done the right, right thing. I mean, I, I can get deeper with Boys in the Hood, you know, but yeah, it's a classic film. Um, Singleton, you know, I really think that, um, you know, John never fully got his full-on respect. I mean, I might be kind of biased. I don't think he really ever had a bad film, in my opinion. And because, you know, I got to what I got what he was trying to do. And, you know, if you listen closely mm -hmm. for film buffs, you know, Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, Baby Boy, they're all interconnected. Just like Kevin Smith with his View Askew, View Askew Universe, <laughs> Singleton did the same mm -hmm. thing with Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, and 
Baby Boy. There's little lines that connect all the films. I mean, I think that um, 95, Higher Learning, Higher Learning still holds up in 2020. And Higher Learning was so ahead of its time and so realistic with the dialogue, what goes on in college dormitories and race relations. And I'm going to shout out Rosewood also. I think Rosewood, you know, should have been his second Oscar nomination, but it just got lost in the radar. I think the Shaft remake was dope with Samuel L. Jackson. Even like Too Fast, Too Furious. You know, he was just having... I enjoyed Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah, he was just having fun with Too Fast, Too Furious. Even with, um... Hell, even, um... Abduction wasn't that bad, and I actually know people that know Singleton, you know, the new Singleton. One of my critic friends out in LA, my guy Mike, um... And the reason why John Singleton did Abduction was to do other films like Boys in the Hood, smaller indie stuff. And he figured that, you know, if I work with this It boy right now in Abduction, it's a hit. Studios will probably finance me for smaller stuff. So shout out to John Singleton. You were sorely, sorely, sorely missed in the world of cinema. All right. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, hearing Eddie and I talk 90s team. It was like I said, man, you know, we, we can go so much deeper, you know, into the mediocre films we didn't even touch on that were um bad but like my guy from last week jason fairley eddie's also a a published critic um as like i told you guys i respect his writing he's a member of wapka like myself so you know i'm gonna i gotta ask him what do you recommend right now for fans at home to check out and to view well lately i've been reviewing a lot of horror movies (laughs) and uh One's coming out later this, uh, uh, it's going to be going to theaters uh, next week. And then I think they said uh, pay-per-view and VOD was going to be on in January. But it's uh, Aaron Benson and Justin Moorhead's, or, or is it, it's Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's Synchronic. Um, they did a movie called The Endless a couple years ago, which is one of my favorites. Uh, they're... They're imaginative. They're they're smart, and there's something really good about their movies. I don't know if I'm about to. I'm not really allowed to say anything about Synchronic other than, yeah, I saw it. I'm gonna see it again. It uh, covers the same heady ground that uh, the Endless and their first film uh, Resolution. Uh, they there's the Resolution and the Endless take place in the same universe, um, but uh, Synchronic is a totally different animal, and they they haven't done a bad movie. I'm going to say that much. Uh, I'm not saying whether Synchronic is good or bad because we're, we're under embargo, but I'm just going to say this: they haven't made a bad movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing Synchronic again. Uh, and uh, that's really what I want to what I want to talk about is just that movie. It's it's keep it on your radars. Yeah, my recommendation is still the same from um, last week. I mean, I'm similar to Eddie. Um, right now, I'm in the midst of uh, watching and viewing stuff for the Middleburg Film Festival virtually. But um, I don't know if I'm under embargo or not. But the one I want to shout out is one I just watched, and that's. Um, Sylvie's Love, I mean, a beautiful love story, um, La La Land vibes. As a matter of fact, I need to email them asking, can I write my review? Because, I mean, I'm just, put it this way, when that movie finished, right now, my wife's out of town, visit, visiting her mom. I was ready to call my, call my wife and just 
say, I love you, I love you, I love you, like over and over again. I mean, that movie made me feel that warm inside. And Mother Wreck is the same one from last week, and that's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Currently streaming on Netflix, one of my years, um, 10 best. I'm sure damn near every critic is going to have The Trial of the Chicago 7 on their years, 10 best. I mean, it is that good of a movie. Very, very timely. Um, the writing of, of Aaron Sorkin is at his best. And I'm going to say it once again, you know, like, like I said in last week's podcast, if you guys would have told me back in 2020, 20, I'm sorry, 2006 when I was deployed to the Middle East that the gentleman playing Borat would be in talks for an Oscar 14 years later, I would have given you the side eye. I mean, that's how good Shasta Baron Cohen is in the trial of Chicago 7. I mean, he is that good playing Abby Hoffman. All right, folks, again, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed um, chopping it up with Eddie and I here in our dialogue, you know, just two film critics chopping it up over the best 90s teen movies. Then the 80s, then the 90s. Um, I might take a break from the teen genre and I might get into black exploitation. I might visit um, horror. You know, there's a horror critic I've been trying to book for a minute, my guy Dustin Butman, if you're listening, because Dustin is probably like the encyclopedia of horror. I mean, Dustin knows horror movies like I know New Jack Swing music. So whenever I have a question, that's the guy I go to for my horror stuff. Eddie, working fans, find on social media, and is there anything else you want to add before we go? Uh, just everybody be safe out there. Wear a mask. It's just something simple that you can do for your fellow human beings. Be smart and be safe. And uh, remember that somewhere out there, somebody loves you. And you have responsibility to get back to them. So uh, wear the mask. Thank you. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I want to say, really. Right, you, don't want, you don't want to drop your link where, where folks can read your reviews? Oh, yeah. Um, you can catch me at DC Filmdom. That's D-C-F-I-L-M-D-O-M.com. And you can also catch some of my um, – I write bigger uh, – I, I write reviews for bigger budgeted movies like tentpole movies at uh, gunaxin, G-U-N-A-X-I-N.com. All right. And you folks know where you can find me. And as always, I'm going to end up with a quote like I always do. And we're going to, you know, go to the book of John Singleton, director of Boys in the Hood. We have these rules, the hero rules. Like a hero doesn't slouch. A hero walks proudly with his head up. A hero walks with purpose. A hero's always a gentleman. The late great John Singleton. Until the next time, done out. What? It's over? Hmm. I would very much like to hear more from this informed podcaster. Smithers, make sure to add reviews and done to my schedule so I don't miss next week's plethora of informative speak. <laughs>